Good morning, afternoon, and evening. Welcome to the 8311 Cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Michael Ludwig, and Wyatt Teeter, as we talk to you about college football, the MLB, NBA free agency, and of course, our signature segments, your weekly turtle tab, Mike Stupid Rules, and Write That Down Predictions, here on episode 139. The AP poll has existed since 1936. However, the preseason AP poll only came about in 1950, making this week's preseason AP poll, AP poll drop the 71st we've ever seen. Wow, that's awesome and everything. Did you know that out of all of the AP rankings that have ever came out, this one, this preseason one here, marks Alabama's 100th number one ranking in Nick Saban's 15 seasons that he's been there. In Alabama's previous 115 seasons that they were in the AP pool, they were ranked number one 30 times, which means that Nick Saban personally has given Alabama 75% of their number one rankings in the AP pool, which is, in my opinion, an insane stat. I mean, it just speaks to the level of consistency that Alabama has every single year. And obviously the fact of how the AP poll views Nick Saban and every single Alabama team every single year too. So, but, but I mean, they did deserve. It's not like you can say they didn't deserve most no. of the rankings. So. Right? No, I, I, I mean, who else are you gonna pick out of those teams? I mean, Florida State was there for like a year. Clemson recently, maybe like once or twice in a year, back when Trevor Lawrence was their quarterback. But they've definitely deserved it. I mean, it just speaks to the. Again, the level of consistency that they have, no matter what, they always have consistency. Unlike a certain team in Austin, Texas, who has decided to leave the Big 12, they never maintain a level of consistency. Um, But you know who has been consistent uh, for the past 26 uh, weeks in AP poll appearances? Iowa State. And so Iowa State has been ranked... Well, I guess not the past 26 weeks, but since 2017, they have been ranked 26 weeks. And four times on four separate occasions, they have appeared in the top 10 of the AP poll ranking. Why is this significant? Well, uh, from 1936 to 2016, Iowa State was ranked just 40 weeks overall from that span of 80 years. They were only ranked 40 weeks. And only they appeared only once in the top 10 in that span, too. So three of the previous or three of the four all-time preseason rankings have come in the last three years. Well, since we're on the topic of preseason rankings, Iowa State was debuted in the AP poll preseason ranking to, as of today, Monday, August uh, 16th. At number seven, they came in in that ranking, which is, you know, I don't know if that's if that's what we're going to say. That's where we expected to be. But that kind of fits along with what some of the other rankings have come out, like with the coaches poll and polls and some of the other things. There is a high level of expectation for this team this season. So it it really it really seems to jive with what everyone has been saying. Everyone has been expecting. If you go through and look at I, I did this over my lunch break today uh i went through and looked at all the voters how they cast their ballots where they where they voted iowa state everyone except for one idiot who is affiliated with mizzou of course the idiot mizzou voter 
put Iowa State way back at number twelve. That's where he that's where he put us in. Absolutely, I don't know what he's watching or what he's paying attention to. He lives in his bubble. Probably thinks the Mizzou's going to win the national championship. Whatever. That's a side tangent. Everyone else put Iowa State somewhere between five and eight. Their highest highest voting spot was number or fifth in the country by one or two people. And then everything else was pretty much straight down the board. You could see Iowa State vote votes in either six, sixth or seventh spot in the poll. Um, so that's that's where it averaged out. Iowa State coming in at seven in the preseason AP poll. Yep. That one spot higher than the coaches poll, of course, which we talked about last week. They were eighth in the coaches poll. Um, this, I mean, it just speaks to what we said last week. The hype is real. It's not just us. The hype is real. We are less than three weeks now away from um, kickoff against you and I. Our next episode will be, of course, a Cyclone football preview, as we do every season. Um, so get ready for that. We'll, we'll, we'll certainly do more details about um, the schedule as well as record predictions and things like that will all come in our next episode. Um, but just a couple other Cyclone um, notes. The Cyclones uh, had four preseason All-Americans, according to The Athletic, three team All-Americans and one second-team All-American. Um, those four All-Americans tied them for the most in the nation. I don't think anybody can doubt this team has tons of individual talent and they've played together for a long time. To me, that's all you need to have a successful team. You've got individual talent who's played together as a team. To me, the only question marks on this are the wide receiver core and the defensive line. And we'll get into that more uh, on a Cyclone season preview. But this team is set up for a really great season and I'm really excited for it. I would agree. Uh, one other note for uh, this Cyclone season, just with that AP poll, uh, Obviously, we we know all know we play you and I week one. We'll get into this eventually when we talk about the season. But looking forward to week two, Iowa comes in ranking number eighteen uh, in that preseason AP poll. So that already is a top twenty uh, showdown um, for the Cyhawk rivalry week two. So that is something to obviously look forward to. Uh, another thing that we have been keeping a close eye on uh, here for you guys is is the fact of conference realignment. Um, not much to speak of on the Iowa State front right now. Uh, not a whole lot of traction in the Big 12 um, since there was some rumors about, you know, the American uh, big Pac-12 conference. One thing I did want to mention is there we'll just hop on the rumor train here for a little bit. There are some rumors swirling that the big 10 ACC and PAC 12 have all been talking uh, about possibly having an alliance when it comes to voting. Uh, and what does this voting mean? They would be voting on college football playoff matters. So they would have, you know, a larger, so to speak, uh, seat at the table, a larger poll in voting uh, and this is all really just a um, shuffle for power, a, position, a power positional play as, as they see the SEC bulking up uh, even more. These three uh, conferences are looking to join alliances possibly um, to have a little bit, little bit more pull and a little bit more say uh, since the SEC seems to dominate a lot of that conversation right now. Yeah, and... I don't know if some of those scheduling alliances involve poaching the remainder of the Big 12 or not. Um, 
Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. There's not, nothing's going to happen now until the end of this football season. Coaches, teams, ADs, athletic departments are focused on this upcoming college football season. I don't think we'll hear much more about conference realignment till December comes at this point to be too, uh, too focused on football. In my opinion, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like no one wants to distract from the football product since that's what makes money. So keep making money. Making money is the goal of athletic departments and you make money by winning. So do those. Speaking of making money, the MLB um, found a huge success this last week in the uh, Field of Dreams game. Uh, so for those of you who don't know, they played a game at the Field of Dreams site. It wasn't the actual field. It was another field built uh, like right down the cornfield, I guess, from the original, uh, the original field from the movie. Um, but it was an absolute success, both as far as entertainment value, TV viewership, everything, absolute success. Um, First of all, it was the most watched um, MLB regular season game since 2005, 2006, somewhere in that range, since the mid-2000s. So basically 15 years, there hasn't been a more watched regular season game. I mean, heck, my mom doesn't watch baseball, and even my mom was enamored by the Field of Dreams game here this last week. That's how popular it was. Um Ticket prices were higher than for most worlds than for many World Series games. Average ticket price was um, so people were loving it. it There's so many good memories, good stories, and it was an absolute success. Um, the only thing I'm upset about is they played it on a Thursday. Why would you play that on a Thursday? In my opinion, that should be Sunday night, Friday night, Saturday afternoon. Right, something like that. Played in a different time slot, in my opinion. But maybe they did research and Thursday night is their best viewer night because there were less other games across baseball because more teams were off. I don't know. To me, it just seems like that should be like a Sunday night game or something. I don't know what and you guys. Think. The, the thing that's what I thought. My my initial thought was, don't play this on a Thursday night. Play this on Sunday night baseball because Sunday night baseball already has its own platform. Really, it's the only game on. Uh, it, it's prime. It's a prime time slot. Uh, you can do like a whole Sunday, like fanfare type thing out there. Do a all day event capped off with the with the nightcap. Yeah, they had some. They had some like l- youth little league stuff happening at the same time out there uh, the day before. I, I believe there was a game uh, played on the same field. But in my opinion, played on a Sunday night, right? maybe have the teams who are playing there uh, the the two teams scheduled to play there, have them play an afternoon Saturday game or do like a, do like a Thursday, Friday, uh, like a three game series, Thursday, Friday, they play Saturday, they're off. And then they play the big game Sunday night. Um, I I think major league baseball could do a bit better uh, in their scheduling of that game. I just thought Thursday night was a little weird. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to watch it because I was busy on Thursday night, whereas Sunday night I would have been able to watch. Um, so I I just got to watch the highlights, but it was an absolutely spectacular game. A bunch of people said it felt like a game seven of a World Series almost. It had that type of feel to it, um, especially with the walk-off uh, by Tim Anderson in that game. Yeah, it was 
it was a fun game. It was it was an all around very fun game. First uh, Major League Baseball game ever played in the state of Iowa. Fun fact. Um, and Commissioner Manfred did confirm um, after slash before slash during the game. At some point, we'll be back again next year for another Field of Dreams game. Um, when and who has not been announced yet. I think the Cubs and Cardinals would be a great Field of Dreams game. I don't know if anybody else agrees with me. But right, those are your two. You're going to be pretty much centrally located there for fan bases. You get that Midwest appeal. I think that would be a great Field of Dreams game, Cubs-Cardinals. Two agree. big media markets too, right? St. Louis and Chicago. So that's what I would do. That gets my vote. We'll see if it happens. Probably not. But that's what I do. Speaking of the Cubs, they are so bad. The Cubs are so, so bad. They've lost 11 in a row now. Um, Wyatt, you'd be in danger of having to write that down prediction about the Pirates staying in last place. You'd be in danger of getting that wrong. Except the Padres of uh, the Pirates have lost ten out of eleven. Well, the Cubs have lost eleven straight, so they didn't make up much ground in that time. Um, the the question now is whose losing streak is going to end first? The Cubs and Orioles are both on eleven game losing streaks right now. Um, eventually, they're both going to end. I doubt either team loses the rest of their games for the rest of the year. But that would be hilarious. Um, so whose streak ends first? I don't know. If you're like me and like to pay attention to bottom dwellers as much as uh, the playoff teams, that's something worth keeping an eye on. Um, elsewhere on the playoff front, the Twins have made some stuff interesting in the American League, but not because uh, they're involved, but because they've just won three consecutive series against the uh, three division leaders in the American League, taking three out of four from Houston and then two out of three from the White Sox and the Rays. So the Twins have been playing a little bit better baseball as of late. Um, other than that, the, the uh, situation has not changed a whole lot since we gave you the update on last week's episode. The Rays, White Sox, and Astros are still ahead in the divisions. Um, Atlanta has now overtaken Philadelphia in the East um, with the Mets are still hanging around there. So three-team race. Milwaukee continues to distance themselves from Cincinnati with good play. And the Dodgers and Giants have put some distance on the Padres, who are now double-digit games back in the division. So we'll keep, uh, keep you updated on the standings as we progress through August and into September um, shortly here. And we'll, of course, keep you informed on the 8311 cast as those playoff races heat up into September. Kyle, you want to fill us in on the NBA free agency news we've had here this week? Yeah, we just uh, got a little bit of news around the league, um, some things that have happened. Uh, previously, I had mentioned that Kawhi Leonard uh, had been rumored to re-sign with the uh, Los Angeles Clippers. That has, in fact, been made official. Uh, that con- Those contract details, four years, $176 uh, million, his fourth year uh in LA is a player option uh, for the Clippers. Other Clipper news, they traded away longtime Clipper Patrick Beverly uh, and now turned journeyman Rajon Rondo and then Daniel Oturo uh, to the Memphis Grizzlies for Eric Bledsoe. Um, Who wins this trade? Well, the LA Clippers shed 30 million off their uh, luxury tax uh, for the upcoming season, which is huge. Uh, for them, 
and Eric Bledsoe gets a change of scenery where he wasn't a star when he or he didn't fit very well once he left the Milwaukee Bucks uh, playing that role as a slashing guard uh, with a lot of perimeter shooting. The Clippers were the best uh, three-point shooting team in the league last year. With that three-point shooting threat, he will be able to do what he does best as a slashing driving guard, getting those uh, shots at the bucket. So benefit to them. And then the Grizzlies uh, to improve um, Ja Morant and kind of help help him get uh, more acclimated with the league, get a uh, very respected, um, hard-nosed player in Patrick Beverly to mentor him um, as well. Other news around the league, Dennis Schroeder, or Schroeder, however you pronounce his last name, he was rumored to turn down $84 million with the uh, Lakers to stay with them on a five-year deal. Apparently, he wanted uh, $120 million, um, but he signed a one-year prove-it deal with the Boston Celtics for $5.9 million. I don't know how that makes any sense, but if he proves it, I guess the the Celtics have the opportunity to sign him for more money, um, but that adds to a uh, potentially dangerous lineup in the East that is up in the air now and uh, room to clamor at the top. Uh, as And also in the East, the Atlanta Hawks uh, lock up John Collins, so they get Trey Young, John Collins, their young core signed long-term there in Atlanta. He gets five years, $125 million. Uh, for the Hawks. So that rounds out your NBA free agency news uh, this week. Um, a little bit dull, uh, some might say. Some might think it's very exciting. Uh, somewhat controversial, like our weekly turtle tab, where some people find it very exciting and others find it somewhat dull. I don't know how anybody could find Willens Astadio dull. He continues to keep making baseball fun. Um, he started in two games this last week for the Twins. He had a home run, a solo home run in the first one. Um, I believe it was a game as the Twins continued on a little bit of a hot streak. Um, it was pretty majestic. He fell down to a knee making uh, as he made contact. It's pretty majestic. Bad news, though. Uh, he left Sunday's game with an injury after, after being hit by a pitch in the foot slash leg area. Um, so we will keep an eye on that. He was not put on the injured list as of as of Monday, um, but he is not in Monday's Twins lineup. So we will um, keep an eye on that to see how he is progressing um, and if he'll need an IL stint or if he will uh, stay ready to go. But for now he is on the roster and doing well. So that is good news. Good news for our Will and Zostadio fans. Now, in Mike's Stupid Rules, we're going to talk about the play that we uh, mentioned briefly last week and said we'd talk about in detail this week. So the play is one that happened, this is probably a month or so ago now, uh, where White Sox player, I can't remember who it was um, now, but anyway, was running home and um, ended up, he was hit by the throw running home and ended up missing home plate as he passed uh, as he passed and went back into the dugout. Now, the run originally was counted because that's correct, because he is ruled to pass, once he passes the base, which is when he is ruled to have two feet past the base, right, while not being called out, he is safe unless he is tagged or put out on appeal. So he was safe. Nobody tagged him, and until the appeal is made, he's safe. 
Now, what happened after that is the opponent, I can't remember who the opponent was anymore either. Anyway, the opponent came out for a mound visit where they talked with the pitcher um, and they had a conversation and that was that. And then um, before the start of the next at bat, the pitcher stepped off the mound, threw the ball to the catcher, who stepped on home plate to appeal that the runner had missed home plate. That is a proper appeal. That is how you appeal. You step off, you throw to the base, you step off base and ask for an appeal. That was a proper appeal. Now, the umpire on appeal called him safe because um, the umpire didn't see that he missed the base. It happens. But that is a reviewable play. You can review the appeal play. Now, the argument that the White Sox announcers made repeatedly, and it was a, I got sick of it as I was listening to that broadcast, is that it's been more than, right, you only have 20 seconds from when a play happens, or sorry, from when an umpire makes a call to decide whether you're going to challenge or not. And the White Sox are like, well, he missed home plate minutes ago because of the mound visit. This, you can't challenge this anymore. The time is up. The key with that is that you have 20 seconds from when the umpire makes the call. The umpire made the call on the appeal, and then the opponent immediately challenged. They challenged within 20 seconds of the appeal call, which is what they were challenged, right? They, if they would have challenged the original play without an appeal, they would have lost because there was no tag. He was safe. Until the appeal, he was safe, and that was the correct call. Right. So if they challenge before the appeal, they lose that challenge. Right. You can't make that challenge because he was never tagged, which means he can't be out until there's an appeal. So you can't make that challenge before the appeal. You saw this in a game between Toronto and Boston about two weeks ago. So two weeks after this play, the Boston runner missed first base um, as he was running to first base. Um, but Toronto never appealed it. Right. So he was well past first base and Toronto's first baseman inadvertently stepped on the base with the ball without asking for appeal. When he was already past first base, having two feet past the base, he was safe. Um, and then he went back to the base, satisfying last time by, touched the base legally on his last time by, as we talked about a few weeks ago on Mike Stupid. And then Toronto challenged the safe out call at first, which was upheld safe because there was no appeal. If they would have appealed and then challenged, you would have been ruled out. So basically you can challenge an appeal and you get 20 seconds from when the appeal call was made, not from when the original player challenging the umpire's decision, which was made on the appeal. Does that make sense to everybody? Yeah, I, I would uh, place money on that being fixed. Because I feel like this is a loophole that is like in the spirit of the rules, it's not supposed to work that way, but technically it's legal, right? But how can you fix this? I, I don't know. I'm not a rules expert. I, I know how to interpret rules. I don't know how to make them. Uh, to me, this seems to go right in the face of the replay rules, which is fine because like I said, it's legal, but I don't know. I, I, I could see that being changed at some point in time in the future. But either way, you've got to wait for the appeal to happen before you can challenge it, right? You have to change more than just the replay rules to fix this very, very fringe scenario that occasionally gives you more than 20 seconds to challenge a play. I think the easy way to fix it would be when, when can you initiate that? I don't know. I don't know. You, it just doesn't seem right. You, to can initiate, you, can initiate, you can initiate an appeal right away. You basically have, you have until 
the next play is made. So either a pitch or a throw over or an attempt to put out a runner. That's basically when you have to make an appeal. So it just seems very tricky, which I'm a fan of. I just don't think that MLB is going to let that stand. Uh, FYI, that was the Brewers they were playing. And this is a great council game, uh, which kind of puts me more into that camp of maybe we should maybe fix this potentially. It's not a big deal. Like you said, it's very much a fringe case. Right. It's it's happened. This is this has happened once since we play started. I mean, it's not like this is happening six times a year. Yeah. No, it's certainly interesting nonetheless. Yes. But anyway, my moral of the story is if you're an announcer and you're going to repeatedly say something and assert that it's true, make sure it's true. That, that That's my big moral of this story. This play wouldn't have gotten nearly as much tension if the White Sox announcers wouldn't have completely botched it by saying the wrong thing over and over and over again, which convinced fans that their teams had just been wronged when really everything was exactly done according to rule in that. So what can you say? Know what you're talking about if you're an announcer. And we try to always know what we're talking about in our Write That Down prediction segment, but we can get away with being wrong because we preface that, you know, more often than not, we're wrong. So... Don't take our prediction. Don't go to the sports books with our predictions. They're more often than not wrong. Um, anyway, for our accountability session um, this week, we only have one prediction coming off the board. Josh last week predicted that the Brewers would sweep the Cubs in that series. Um, as we went over earlier, the Cubs have lost 11 straight. That included a sweep of the Brewer, uh, a sweep by the Brewers. So Josh gets that prediction correct. So ding, 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 ding. That is it for our accountability session. Um, so I will start putting predictions up on the board. I am predicting that the Cyclones go undefeated against non-Big 12 opponents. Now, just a note, I didn't. I specifically said non-Big 12 opponents because I'm going to count any bowl games or things like that played at the end of the year that are, might also be played not against conference opponents. So three nine plus any postseason games played against non-Big 12 teams. So what you're saying is Iowa State's going to beat Alabama in the natty is what you're saying. I mean, no, because in theory, this team could go three and nine, and I could still get this prediction right, as long as those three wins are the three non-conference games. So um, if you want percentages on the three currently scheduled non-conference games, Iowa State has a 97.6% chance of beating UNI, a 75% chance of beating Iowa, and a 96.6% chance of beating UNLV. Um, Those are according to ESPN's Football Power Index. So if you do the math on that one, um, I'm doing the math real quick. Math on that probably single, right? So there, according to ESPN, then there's a 70% chance that Iowa State wins all three of those games. But you also have to contribute to the fact that Iowa State, if this season goes as well for Iowa State as we think it is, they're going to play a top 10 non-conference team in a bowl game mm-hmm. on a neutral site. Mm-hmm. Which, if you call that a coin flip game, that brings the odds of this prediction being right down to 35% which is in double territory. Yes. Yeah, I'm okay with a double. That's, that's that's where I think that's at. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, you could probably argue for a triple if you wanted to, but... I'm not going to try. I just wanted to not you to not give me a single 
that was for that because of the unknown and the season. Right. Well, I I was like, yes, the first part is a single, but the other unknown is double. That's yeah, what the unknown makes it a double. All right. What do we got from Josh this week? Is he still alive? Yep, still alive. He's still doing good. Josh predicts that the Brewers will go to the World Series. Brewers to the World Series. Is that is his? They have a. Ah. Uh... According to 538, the Brewers have a. I, I'm showing a 10.3, but that's to win the World That's to win the World Series, yeah. I can pull it up from Fangraphs to see what their chance to make the World Series well, is. Uh, see, that's what I have. According to Fangraphs, the Brewers have a 23.4 or a 23.6% chance to make the World Series. This is double, triple territory. I'm probably thinking triple, but maybe double. What do you guys think? I'm probably thinking triple just because I don't think they're I don't think they're the top two teams in the in the West. Or well, in the NL is what I mean, not in the West. What thoughts? Double, triple? I don't know. Um, geez, I don't know. I, I want them to make it. I do. Um, let's go with I, I I think a double is more fitting. Okay, double it is. Wyatt, what do you got? Going in a similar vein in the NL Central and saying that the Reds will take a wild card to the playoffs. A, a specifically a wild card spot, so if they win the division, this prediction is wrong? Correct. Also, they're not going to win the division. <laughs> so according to 538... Do you want to also have... make that prediction at the same time? I mean, it's implied if they... Right. Yeah, it's yeah, an implied right. prediction. Yeah. So according to 538, the Reds have a 30... 2% chance of doing exactly what you said, make the playoffs as a wild card. And according to fan graphs, they have a um, 31.8% chance of making the wild card. So again, it's probably about a double. 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 Based on the percentages. Kyle, what do you got? Uh, yeah, so my prediction might have seemed a little bit uh, like a bunt in, in previous weeks, but it's that Whit Merrifield will lead the league in stolen bases at season's end. For reference, he has led the league for stolen bases the majority of the season, except for the past week since Sterling Marte has uh, been stealing a bunch of them recently. There has been a run at the musical instrument store on bases recently, uh, and he's yeah. been, he's Mar- been Mar- rumored to take all of them. Mar- Marte has stolen 10 bases in his last 15 games. Yeah, it's, it's pretty wild. Um, so he's, he's running, uh, basically like he's got a fire lit under his, but family friendly show. Um, so they're tied at 33 stone bases right now. Um, Marte and, uh, Merrifield are, right. um, and the next closest competitor is at 22. And that's uh, Fernando and that's Fernando Tatis, the and, often and, injured yeah, Fernando and Trey, Tatis. And Trey Turner. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so. I, for reference, Sterling Marte has done this in a lot less games. He's only played 78 games, whereas Merrifield has played one season. That sort of leans me toward Marte. I actually think it's Starling Marte. I think I've been pronouncing that wrong. I apologize to him. Um, so, single or double? What do you think, Wyatt? Double. Double? Double. Doubles for everybody. Doubles, doubles, doubles everywhere. That's exactly what I wanted. So, with a double, 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 four doubles, that rounds out our Write That Down Prediction segment, which means we're at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening to episode 100. 
39 of the 8311 cast. Appreciate you sticking around. We're taking next week off, so tune in to the week after next for a Cyclone season preview, because who doesn't love football? But until then, signing off for the 8311 cast, we have your hosts, Kyle Mersh, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Teeter. We'll talk to you all again the week after next. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones.